0: Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Show. My name's Steve Buzz. Great to be with you today. Uh, I'm not joined, of course, today by Trish McFarlane. Trish is on assignment, but we will talk to her again very, very soon. But you've got me today. Uh, Weather update, of course. You're used to this. It's cold. It's snowy. Blah, blah, blah. Enough of that. It's never ending. We have had a great run of shows lately on the Happy Hour. I hope you have checked out some of the recent shows we've done. Great shows about inclusion in the workplace with Dr. Laura Hamill from LimeAid. Great show about employee financial wellness with Jamie Calamaretas from Prudential, and super show on moving HR systems to the cloud. And we'll be talking a little bit about HR systems today as well, but uh, great show on that from Alliance Data Systems and our, our guest Nakoria Johnston on moving their HR uh, technology to the cloud. Really geeky, techy conversation, but uh, really good one as well. So check that out in the archive too. If you've got ideas for shows, you can tweet at us at HR Happy Hour or send me an email steve at h3hr.com the alexa show still going strong by the way although i didn't record one today hmm, i'll have to get to that later but you can add the hr happy hour alexa version which is short a couple of minutes uh every other day or so or every three days add it to your hr uh add it to your alexa daily flash briefing uh, i should say by adding the hr happy hour skill to your briefing and finally of course hr tech conference i'm hard at work on this i promise tickets are on sale now Go to www.hrtechconference.com. Use my code, Steve300, for $300 off your registration. All right, let's get on to it. We have a great guest waiting in the wings. We are going to be talking about the future of HR in 2019 and probably beyond. Uh, we are super excited today to welcome our guest, Mike DeClaudio. He's a principal advisory at KPMG. Mike uh, is a prof- an advisory professional with more than 15 years of business consulting experience, working with organizations globally to develop talent management, HR and service delivery strategies with direct linkage to technology, cost containment, and overall business alignment. He has experience with organizations across multiple sectors and geographies, including consumer products, pharmaceutical, chemical, industrial, manufacturing, retail, and finance, basically everything. And and any kind of business there is Mike's been around that. And, uh, He is frequently interviewed by industry publications, is a thought leader, and speaks at all kinds of events. And he is making his debut, I'm pretty sure, I should know this, it's my show, on the HR Happy Hour show today. Mike DiClaudio, how
1: are you today? I'm good, Steve. I'll have you know, it's freezing cold and snowing in Detroit. Detroit? Um, Oh, I did
0: did not know where you were either A from or B calling from today. So yeah, I think you've got it worse than me.
1: Yeah, it's it's going to be great here. Um, I'm excited for HR Tech being uh, in a much sunnier locale.
0: Oh my one. God, I'm counting down the days. I I've been home for a while, working hard, diligently, Mike, diligently, dear listeners as well. But my next trip isn't is Vegas in a couple of weeks for an event, and I'm like, I'm I'm literally counting down the days to just get out of this. Yeah, and, sure. and it's I'm looking at the snowing again here. For, ugh, enough. Yeah. All right, so Detroit, huh? Is that where you're from, Mike, or you just happen to be there tonight? Yes, sir.
1: Yeah, no, from Detroit. Uh, was an expat for a while. Uh, lived in Chicago for a while, uh, but Detroit is home sweet home.
0: Oh, so so expat Chicago is, qualifies as an expat location. I thought you were going to say yeah, Dublin or Paris.
1: I spent a, a couple years in London. Um, that that nice. sort of counts. Um, and then yeah, definitely uh, lots of time in Chicago. But we're excited to be home.
0: Great. Well, Mike, great, great to have you here and uh, enjoy Detroit. I I, I do enjoy the airport there very frequently. Uh, And uh, me too. (laughs) I'm gonna tell you, uh, we haven't even like we have a show to do. There really is a topic, but like I I do, I I wanted to see how many nights I've spent in that Westin in the Detroit airport when I've missed the connection home. You know, it's 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 more than three. I'll I'll leave it at that. Over the last few years, where uh, that's where I've I've spent the night.
1: They've got they got a great spa there. They got their own TSA line. Uh, yeah, coming out that's of the a, West that is lobby. Nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a lot. This, this show brought to you by the Westin at the.
0: Trust. Yeah, props to the Westin. If you're listening, we could we could we could use some mm-hmm. support. But uh, but what we are here, uh, you can, we'll, we'll catch it. We'll cover all that on my other podcast, you know, uh, Airport uh, Daily. Uh, but uh, <laughs> let's talk about the future of HR in 2019, Mike. I want to set a little bit of context before I throw it to you for some some initial yeah. thoughts for a little bit of the context around today's conversation uh, last year kpmg surveyed about 1200 global hr executives to better understand their attitudes their approaches and their their adoption and their intent to adopt modern digital technologies it's a really interesting kind of deep dive into what hr leaders around the world are thinking about uh digital technologies maybe maybe we'll just kick off the conversation mike with um Maybe give us some of the key highlights that, that you and the folks sure. at KPMG discovered from this, this research about what HR leaders are thinking and, are, more importantly, maybe doing around digital transformation.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So, Steve, this, the research is fun for a couple of reasons. Um, it, so it's 21 years old now. Um, and what's been great about it is it sort of started, if you go way back in the day, it started as like a shared service center, contact center research. So we had a lot of like time to fill and we had very kind of mechanical operational, um, data points that were coming out of the survey. And what we've been doing over the last 21 years is evolving it to kind of match where the focal point is for a CHRO. So this is becoming the CHRO's survey. Um, it's, it's informing her as she's having her conversations with her leadership team and with her you know peer leadership on the c suite um and we're we're also kind of following where the market is demanding more insight um so we we definitely you know there's always questions around what's the time to fill for an average job but we're exceptionally uh excited about the conversations we need to have around what is actually the workforce going to look like in 10 years okay. and what are what's what are what's going on with these bots and things like that so um, the reason I bring up sort of the, the evolution of this thing over time is there, it allows us to sort of keep pace and, and, and have you know, multi-year views on a single problem. So one problem that we've been looking at now for this, I think is year number three, is the emergence of intelligent automation. Um, and just to, to level set, intelligent automation is a, a catch-all phrase we use for things like digital labor, process automation, AI, machine learning, like all of those buzzwords we kind of put into an envelope and we call the envelope intelligent automation and we've been tracking the way that a chro has looked at that for the last three years and the remit of the chro is starting to really crystallize and it's interesting because they're both the physician and the patient for this problem like they need to take intelligent automation and put it into the organization they're the that's them being the physician right they're going around they're prescribing they're helping the company change jobs and change out skills and adopt new ways of working but then they're also the patient because they have to do it to their own function so you're seeing a lot more automation around the way an hr's customer set interacts with them you're seeing chatbots being introduced as even part of the the core packages that are being deployed in some of the bigger hr platforms um, you're seeing a lot more automation and service management technologies. Um, it, that's just becoming like a, I'll put it that, that's like an easy meeting to get as a consultant. Right. And it's an easy topic to have, right? Is, yeah. Let's talk about automation and you're going to have 200 people at a conference there. So, um, one key highlight is we're seeing the CHRO having an increased focus on automation and on uh, on sort of what's going to happen because of automation but what's interesting is there's a disconnect between what a chro says and what a ceo says um you know so i should note we run a parallel survey that we we touch every aspect of the c-suite so we have like sure. a ceo survey a cio cfo etc so the ceos are saying look and you know 61 62 percent of them are saying look Automation, its going to we're gonna have as many jobs at the end of automation as we do at the beginning. It's gonna be a skill replacer, not a job replacer. Lump of jobs principle, macroeconomics 101, blah, blah, blah. CHRO, I think has a, a more short-term view of it going, well, in order for me to make the business case for automation, I'm probably gonna have to take jobs out. So I'm actually looking at it, oh, and it's interesting, 61, 62% of CHROs have the opposite view. I'm looking at it as taking jobs away. Um, so key finding for us is is some disconnection happening between a head of HR and a head of a, of an organization a head of a business around what the short to medium term impact is going to be for automation. yeah that's
0: really that's really surprising, right to me that finding or that disconnect because mm-hmm. I would have if you would have asked me well, just to guess at what the CEOs kind of think uh, will be the uh, some of the byproducts of, of increased automation versus chROs. I think I would have said the opposite. I think I would have said the CEOs are looking to drive costs out of the organization and maybe reduce reduce headcount and and do 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 full scale replacements. Uh, I would have not guessed CHROs were thinking that much about that.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. So I had the same reaction, like to the point where I was like, wait, wait, wait. I want to go back and see the receipts. Like I want to make sure that we're looking at this data the right way. Right. And even the way we asked the question, like we we weren't ambiguous in the way we asked the question. So. I don't know. I'm 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 comfortable, if not intrigued by what they're <laughs> telling me. So right. but so then we started doing the qualitative conversations. Right. So all the all of our research vehicles, we bolster them by going out and talking to people. So I'll go and meet with the CHRO at you know, Dow Chemical or meet with a CHRO at Club Med, or at our own firm, right? And and then we'll go and do the same thing on the CEO side. So then we'll have the conversation. And one of the interview questions that we gave all the interviewers was, explain this disconnect. And this is what we found. Um, the CEO was very focused on value creation. So I too had this perception that CEOs were cost drivers, right? right. And I think we've seen some of that in the CFO uh, research. But the CEOs are saying, look, the way that automation makes the most sense to me as an executive is by allowing us to do something that we couldn't do before. And if it's just going to be a faster way of doing it, like I've been sold faster ways of doing things for the last 25 years. Right. Right. Like the first guy that sold me a mainframe told me it was faster than punch cards. So uh, to some degree, faster is not interesting. Right. It's almost like a necessary but not sufficient condition for any sort of transformation. Um, valuable is interesting. And it's been sold, and this is true, I mean, if you look at like the evolution of cloud technology, like a lot of it starts in the front office, a lot of it starts around marketing and sales. And we're seeing a lot more, you know, automation in terms of the amount of, you know, the way that we segment the market and the way that we pursue the market, right? So anyone who's on a direct mail campaign or anyone who looks in their you know inbox on their email and they see a whole bunch of emails that are like, boy, I don't remember signing up for that. Like, yeah, congratulations. That's the, that is the end product of automation in the marketing space. Right. Um, and they'll, they'll take a whole bunch of data sets about you, some of which you know you've given and some of which you didn't even realize you gave but are being scraped out of social media. And bloop, now you've got ads on your social media feeds. Now you have ads that you, you know, depending on the browser you use, your ads are supported by a lot of, a lot of different things. Um, and all that automation is happening on the front office. And it's been happening for a while. And it's just becoming more apparent what's happening and becoming, you know, even more aggressive, um, if we can use that phrase. Uh, the, the CEO looks at that and goes, that's really interesting. I believe that there is a talent war or some sort of war for talent that's been happening, although you know, people it's, it's been happening forever. What would I need to do to win that one? So I've been I've been convinced how to win the marketing war. And a lot of it's due to automation and really segmenting and targeting the right type of customer. What would I have to do to get the right type of skill in the organization? So help me do that thing. And that's yeah. what the CEO is saying.
0: Well, yeah, right. So, so Mike, I think that makes great thing. sense. Yeah. Cost right. reduction and, and improved processing times. That's not transformative, right? On its own self, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. You cut some costs. but. That that doesn't help you, that helps you maybe survive in a market a little bit longer. It doesn't help you find a new market or, or 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 better compete in an existing market, right? It just helps you kind of cling to life a little bit longer. And I guess I guess what you're saying is these C CEOs that you're talking to are thinking much bigger than that.
1: Totally right. And and what's good is like, and it's interesting because then the CHRO goes, wait, 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 my CEO said that? And they, and they, like to some degree, it's like, look, man, be careful what you wish for, because we've been wanting to put talent at the top of the CEO's agenda forever, right? right? And now that we've done that, we need to make sure that we aren't. And it's interesting because you talk to, you know, I live in Detroit, and there's an article, you know, know, if you if you were to look up, you know, Jim Hackett did a, a. an interview he's the ceo of ford and he did an interview with usa today and they're talking about like you know he he's out there and he's pushing and the cfo of ford is like you know he's pushing us to think differently um and you and that's it's interesting because you're seeing ceos being much more transformative in their position but you're seeing like the line the, the line executives like the chro and, and, and her peers being you know somewhat more like look man i got here because, you know, what you just said, Steve, like, I got here because I was able to cut costs. Right. And I I, I am now the, in the executive spot because my last big project that was successful was automation for cost reduction or outsourcing for cost reduction. So I'm, I'm taking SG&A down. Like, that's the thing I've always been asked to. Now you're asking me about value. Hold the phone. Like, I need to go back and relearn that skill. Yeah. And, and that's, compl- that's where...
0: That's where we're going next. Yeah. And I we've heard some of that too. We've had on the show in the last uh few months, we've had on a couple of chief talent officers talking about talking much the same way, Mike. We had the we had the chief talent officer from Anheuser Busch on uh not too long ago who talked about that, as well as the uh GM. You mentioned Ford, we had GM on. And uh yep, yep, they yep. said yeah, they said a lot of the same things as well. And it's 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 a different, uh it's certainly a different mindset, and it's 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 something that HR leaders, it sounds like, are going to have to get more proactive around getting better alignment with what their CEO really wants from HR versus what we maybe have always thought the CEO wanted from HR. Or maybe traditionally what they did always want, right? They did want outsourcing. They did want cost reduction. They did want, you know, time to fill incremental improvements in time to fill, not because of any reason other than it just was cheaper, right? and it's so interesting, right. though. Like I was reading just this morning, and I don't, you know, I don't know if, uh, don't why it made me think of it though. But this, this framing the conversation in that way made me think of this. I was reading about Amazon this morning, and how uh, a whole bunch of people at Amazon, about working moms at Amazon, are trying to pressure Amazon to offer uh, backup childcare benefits, right? Um, you know because they don't have that i guess at amazon now and lots of other tech companies do right as part of the benefit package emergency backup childcare kind of benefit situation totally. and and the the message that i read in this article i think it was bloomberg or reuters one or the other but it said that the uh, the amazon hr people are telling the kind of working moms at amazon the only way you'll get this approved is if you paint this as a cost reduction measurement, right? right. <laughs> like that's the way to right. sell it. So even at companies like that, really progressive kind of, one of the world's leading companies, I guess in a way, like we're still thinking about some of these HR slides. I know I'm making maybe a bit of a leap in making this comparison to what you are talking about with this one specific thing at Amazon, but mm-hmm. you know we're talking about, they're still saying, hey, HR, sell this as cost reduction or it won't get sold, which I thought was interesting.
1: Well, I, so um, I actually think, so A, segue alert. Because it segues perfectly into like the second half of this finding. So this Mm -hmm. whole notion that like the CEO and the CHRO have a little bit of disconnect, right? And that's not to say totally disconnected, um, but there's a Venn diagram. It's not a single circle. Um, I think what you're illustrating is perfectly in line with where the CHRO is potentially a little bit more forward thinking than the CEO. And that comes down to how to do it so you know one concept is it's got to be cost reduction and again yeah that's my training that's my job that's my that's my jam but when i'm looking at if i segment out uh, organizations that are a little bit more successful and have let's call it higher higher um ratings around being a great place to work or you know have or just have like in the zeitgeist a better kind of organizational culture around them um you know without Passing judgment on you know, whether or not Amazon is a good place to work, I can say that the, the organizations that are in the know are, are, are sort of around being great places to work have figured out their value propositions and are looking at sort of like the same way they have a customer value proposition, right? Um, as I'm, I'm looking at an Amazon Prime box that's sitting on my front porch right now, like that's a value proposition to me. I get it for <laughs> right. 48 hours. Uh, but from a customer perspective, I've figured that out. I'm the, I'm the CEO. I figured out how to segment customers. I believe that a CHRO can help close the synapse for a CEO by saying, look, you've created valuable experiences for your customers, and that's why they keep coming back to us. And you realize in creating those valuable experiences that you got a whole bunch of different types of customers out there. Some people care about two-day shipping. Some people care about being the lowest cost. Some people care about... You know, ease of use for buying, which is why you have dash buttons and wands and everything else. Like there are different things people care about and you create experiences to match what they care about. You want to know, CEO, how I solve that talent problem. I'm telling you, you got to create, and this is where it gets tricky, but you have to create different experiences for your employees that match what it is that they care about. Right. And the CHRO should inherently get that because forever everyone's wanted their own view of like the truth when it comes to an hr policy it's tough because and like look i'll raise my hand and say this is partly you know this is partly our fault as you know people who've been implementing technology for a really long time like we used to drill people down it's got to be standard 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 the only way to work is a single way it's got everything has to be standard
0: yeah um, and well, that's how you drive costs down and that's how you increase efficiency right you make it exactly. everything right. the same
1: yeah and, and, and what's interesting is like, I, A, the technologies really don't demand that anymore. Or when they do demand it, it's at a different level than maybe what we're used to in the past. So you can have multiple benefit plans. You can have multiple comp plans. You can have multiple job structures and competency models. And like, look, man, SAP, Oracle, and Workday have figured that out. Yeah. And like, now whether or not we all take advantage of that in the HR space is sort of up to us. But the technologies have figured out differentiation. Yeah. Um where we need to go is by figuring out experience differentiation. so how do I create a model wherein if you know people need to have different support, they can have it If people need to work from home, they can work from home, but I'm still gonna have office space if right. you know like how do i how do I create what those experiences are? I think everyone jumps to the end with like, okay, here's all the policies. Uh, what if I, like, let's just take a breath and take a step back and say, well, actually, what are like the cohorts of people that work for you? And our research, like since we're, this is founded in research, not just like sure. one crazy person talking, um, although those aren't mutually exclusive. <laughs> uh, the, That's okay. The, the, the uh, what we're seeing is around this notion of a collaborative workplace between digital labor and human labor, and it comes down to the value proposition, Right. And uh, to the point about selling automation or selling a new policy, it's not often, does it, it doesn't always have to have cost reduction. If you can make it flatter, even incremental, but you can make it about value add and you can right. make it about making the job more attractive, that you're going to have less turnover out of it now we're getting somewhere now i'm creating kind of value that's different than just like line item value every line item has to like a pay-as-you-go plan is not going to work for an hr practitioner they have to look at the entire value proposition for the employees and then you start making trades and then you start figuring out how one you know if i if i outlay cost in this bucket around this specific program maybe on the line item it'll cost more but it's going to influence all these other things in terms of the value that the employee has and that's going to make that employee much more engaged and that's going to make that employee much more you know willing to work here and able to work here and by the way those employees have skills that I've already figured out are going to be important to me mike
0: um, let me and- do a quick reset uh, this is the HR Happy Hour show. My name is Steve Boaz. I'm joined by Mike DiClaudio from KPMG. We are talking about KPMG's future of HR survey, but a lot of other things as well. It's been a really interesting conversation so far. But I will make sure to get the link out to the entire survey in the show notes as well. Um, so, Mike, uh, so we talked a little bit about one of the key kind of things you've you, you've learned or discovered as part of this ongoing research. This, you know, uh, is this kind of disconnect between CEOs and CHROs. We talked about that for a little while. The other element that I just I did want to touch on before we before we so we don't forget it or I don't forget it was just some of the attitudes and the inclinations and and, and what HR leaders are telling you uh, that, that they're planning on doing around some of these transformations and spe- specifically these digital tools. Because my sense is that, like from reading some of the survey data, that while many HR leaders are fully aware that, yeah, hey, this is a real really important part of what we need to do here in HR and the future of HR, many of them are either not ready or not able or not willing or reticent about actually kind of beginning some of these transformative processes. I'd, I'd love for you to kind of share your thoughts on kind of what you found and, and if that's really true when you're out there talking to 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 the companies that you do work with.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I let's start with um, – if you, if you go in and say, hey, let's do an HR transformation, I think there's sort of no shortage of like, go, like <laughs> collective eye roll and sigh, because right. we've been doing it. Transformation has been different things over you know, the last 15 years. There was a big outsourcing play. There was, before that, there was an ERP play. Now it's a cloud platform play. The dilemma is with this, with this notion of digital transformation, which is now the new catch call, right? Right. Um, it's like a never ending story. But it's on purpose. Right. So I think the the companies that have done a really clever and good job of this have figured out that I'm actually implementing a capability. I'm not implementing a tool or an asset. And when they start to implement a capability, they realize like instead of me just like going, okay, I'm going to slam in a cloud platform and then I'm going to leave it alone. For five years, because that's what I did with my old on-premise system. Or I'm going to slap in automation, like a, an automation bot. I'm going to leave that alone for a year, because that's the way I've always dealt with my adjunct, adjunct tools. Okay, well here's the problem, right? Cloud platforms are changing a couple times a year. Right. So you basically are buying stuff that's going to evolve, but you're not letting it evolve because you're ignoring it. And then the tools, you know, the the cloud tools, if it's a chat bot or in some sort of automation engine are changing even faster than that. So the tool, the companies that have figured this out have figured out, you know, I, I'm gonna run a project to get my core base, like my base system set up, right? So yep, yeah, I'm gonna implement a cloud platform. I need rigor for that done. I'm more focused as an HR leader on what happens the day after implementation than I am for the year leading up to the implementation. Mm-hmm. And that's where like, you know, our, our research is finding people are concerned about, you know, fatigue. They're concerned <laughs> about spend. They're concerned about capabilities. Like number one concern is the HR function going, oh, I don't know if I got the capabilities for this. Like 42% are saying that. Right. Uh, and it's because it's not about implementing a system anymore. It's about changing the way you work so that you can constantly change the way you work. And we're back to that notion of like we're used to it being standard and we want everything paint by numbers, but the challenge HR leaders are facing is they realize it can't be that way. Like it has to always evolve, or else you're not gonna be able to take advantage of your spend. You're not gonna be able to take advantage of the tool and you're not gonna be able to like create a work environment that is consistent with what employees wanna see.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because that was that was what I was thinking when you were sort of describing this 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 the nature of these transformations and what they require i, I definitely was thinking about what increasingly people uh, employees everybody really is demanding not just from technology but just from the important experiences in their life right and i was thinking about that when we're talking about some of the consumer space and the marketing space and how they kind of had the lead in a lot of this uh, kind of technology adoption and transformation in, in the hyper segmentation, et cetera, et cetera. Like I'm, I'm, I probably got an email this morning, say, I don't know, from target, right. My, my daily email from target. And they probably sent out 10 million of them, right. To, every, to everybody who shops at target. It's probably more than 10 million. And I'll bet every one of those emails is a little bit different or maybe not everyone, but there's probably, you know, hundreds of thousands of versions of that email that went out today Yeah. That, Right. And I got mine and you got yours and they're probably a little bit different. And this notion that and we like that. Right. The reason that's valuable or why I continue to subscribe to it is, hey, oh, that's a good idea. They showed me something I might want or they they kind of g- gave me some insight about, you know, how I can do something better. Right. That, that they know about me, mm-hmm. however they know it about me. And we're not thinking enough about that, I think, in the workplace. Right. Like I would love to get that workplace email every morning that was written just totally. for me. Right. That's
1: yeah, some, like it was. Yeah. yeah that
0: sh- shared content that would be specific to me might help me get my job done might help me with a meeting i've got coming up might help me um you know round out some skills that i've been working on etc cetera, etc cetera, whatever it is right like um uh, and we know we can do it you mentioned earlier right the the big tech players they can all do this right if they want to right yeah. and, and it's it's not it's not um but i think more it, without that right you'd say to yourself well well well, gee, I, I'm just another cog in the machine here, right? This big company wants, you know, uh, doesn't really understand me at all. Maybe.
1: So you're, yeah, so a hundred percent. And we've been talking about this notion of aligning a consumer experience with an employee experience. Yeah, maybe for the last five years. Right. And now let's talk about like what that means, because the consumer experience is evolving at a, an incredibly rapid clip. Like for a while, it meant mobile. Hey, man, have it on your phone. Well, um, look, <laughs> I'm here to tell you, if you don't have it on your phone, forget it. Right. The yeah. majority of transactions are taking place on a mobile device. Just, just get, get, like, make the leap. So, and that that is becoming increasingly true on the customer side, or on I mean, the sorry, on the employee and the workforce side as well. And we're, you know, I, you were talking about Target, like, and I was thinking, like, man, I'm in a fantasy football league, and like mm-hmm. every Monday morning or every Tuesday morning, I get an email from the, what's the commissioner mailbox. That's like a replay of my game against whoever it is I played. I'm like, who wrote this? Oh, it's a robot that wrote it, right? Yeah, right. Um, right. But it doesn't look like it's a robot that wrote it, but it's a robot that wrote it. So, my, um, so your, your, your head is totally right in this notion of aligning the customer experience and the worker experience is, is like becoming the standard. And I think, we, we, we can, we can get a long way with using a buzzword like the millennials, right? Like, <laughs> oh, millennials have this, yeah. well, so the millennials are the largest contingency in the workforce right now. So if you're, if you want, if you want to make a play and use people that are 38 and under as your argument, like realize that people that are 38 and under are 36% of your workforce. Right. Um. So A, it's what you're talking about is the largest single generational demographic so it's not just like you know eighteen year olds or whatever. In fact, eighteen year olds are largely a different generational dynamic. That, I do. That, I have an
0: eighteen year old son, and uh, yeah, I, I can attest. To, I believe you're right about that. Yeah,
1: totally different. Totally different than someone who's thirty eight. Just throwing it out there. So I, I, I would advocate that if you're going to use that as like a cudgel, like it's it's a millennial problem. Don't get wrapped up in like pool tables in the break room. And, and and funky colors on the walls. Like I've been to organizations that have spent what they feel is like a lot of money and a lot of effort transforming their work environment. And you go there and it's, wow, this is a legitimately cool space. But if I go and sit in someone's workspace and look on their screen, and this is a true story, actually, they were on a green screen mainframe trying to pull financial data out of a plant oh my gosh and i'm like wait a minute dude like you could oh but look at they're on a standing desk doing it okay (laughs) Like, (laughs) like but honestly no one cares that it's a standing desk when it's a mainframe environment they're working
0: in yeah
1: and you know i've talked to cfos who have told me it's taken it takes them a month to close the quarter and they can't understand why you know i recruit from the best mba schools and the best cpa schools and i don't understand why people aren't staying after the first year. I feel like they just don't wanna work hard. And I'm like, dude, perhaps, or perhaps the work you're asking them to do is five steps backwards from even the work they were able to do at university to get that degree. They were doing statistical analysis and they were using high level modeling tools because that's what the academic institutions have on offer. They're not learning COBOL, they're not learning you know, tab and F4, they're learning a much different UI, they have a much different UX, and they have a much different skill set as a result of it. So you're asking them to do something that's 20 years old. And that's why they're leaving. Yeah, and that's a hard conversation to have. But if you're the CHRO of an organization, if anything in the last five minutes sounds like your company or your organization, that's the conversation to have. And and I think in our research.
0: Yeah, and I'm, Mike, I'm glad you brought it back around to that because the kind of the last part of the conversation I wanted to have today was a little bit of that, okay, you, you know, done a lot. You, you're part of KPMG. got tremendous amount of research on this stuff, working with huge c- customers all the time, talking to CEOs, CFOs, CHRs, et cetera, et cetera. So my last bit of this was going to be a little bit of that advice, right? Well, what advice I always like to kind of, you know, for the HR folks who are listening to the show, like, well, what's, what's kind of, what are a couple things I can start thinking about or what can I do? And so you mentioned that, really a deeper understanding or an assessment of that experience layer, right? Which I haven't heard anybody, I mean, I heard people sort of talk about it, but you gave a great example. There, a real tangible example with that green screen, you know, kind of idea. And I, I think that's gotta be at least part of the advice, right? To really think about oh what's it really like for person X in this job, with this cohort. And and, and is, the, is the the Amazon Amazon example I brought up a little bit earlier too, one of the big challenges for a company like them and probably many others as well is, there's so many micro communities, right? Or micro cultures at a giant company uh-huh. like Amazon, right? The experience of software developers in Seattle is going to be much, much different than warehouse workers in Kentucky, right? But yeah. um, so really a deeper understanding of that experience level is really, is really key. And is there something else you just sort of offer to folks who maybe part of that group who feel like they're struggling or told you in the survey that, hey, we're not really sure where we're going with this yet. And what, what can I do? What can they do?
1: Yeah, so the let's um, the the when we tell people, look, you should look to digitally transform the entire way you work, not just your HR system. So stop Mm -hmm. making this about like enrolling in benefits and start making it about, (laughs) you know, changing the way that work gets done in your company. So the biggest challenges that our customers are telling us they're facing fall into two buckets, data and capability. So the first thing we want to unpack on data is the type of data you have. And we've been focused on demographic data and system-based data for a really long time, but that isn't necessarily the same data set you need to be successful understanding uh, your employee set and to be successful understanding kind of how to best create the right environments for them. So the challenge we give a CHRO is, walk into the chief sales office, walk into the chief marketing office, and ask how much data they have on your prospective customers and on your existing customers, and you're going to get a huge list. And the challenge to a CHRO is you should know as much about your employees as you know about your customers, because you're creating an experience for your employees the same way that you want to be creating an experience for your customers. Right. So that means starting with your customer in mind. Right. And in order to really do that, you need to have the right data. So when when they say data, you know, half of them and, and it's actually, I think, 49 percent. Um, You'll be able to read all about it in, in the PDF that you're going to see. But you sure. know, I think it's about let's call it half of those organizations say, look, I don't have access to the right data. And they, what they mean by that isn't access to like last year's compensation. What they mean is access to all of the things that help me paint a big, broad picture about the way that you work and about the way that your life is sort of set up. So that means things like, are average commute times increasing? Has the average salary for a specific skill set risen in your county? Are there you know, all sorts of different demographic items around you that are influencing the way that you work? Because I think you know, we can all agree that people don't have like two brains, like one inside the office and one outside the office. Right. So you, know, there's a, there's the, you, you have to be able to treat the whole patient. You can't just treat the systems as they're, the symptoms, rather, as they're presented. Um, so that's the data quadrant for folks, is both getting access to the right data, but then knowing, frankly, what the right data is. Um, th- the second is around capabilities, and that's where, you know, there's a couple things that we unpack there. The first is, you know, back to that green screen example about, you know, the, the person who's sitting in a cool office and a standing desk and a new laptop and working in a mainframe. Uh, that an HR, and when I talked to the C.H.R. of that company, he said, "Look, man, that's I can't influence that." Well, okay, my challenge to you is influence it, because we're back to that whole conundrum of people not understanding what's truly driving attrition. And if you, you know, traditionally the capability of the HR practitioner was, look, I can only pull a comp or benefit or policy lever. I can't pull a workplace lever. Right. I can't really pull a promotion lever. Like there's all these things that are in the remit of the quote unquote organization or the business or the line that I can't influence. Well, my my challenge to a CHRO is influence it. And that's the capability play is you have to figure out how to insert a capability into your organization that is thinking about every aspect of your employee and thinking about every aspect of the work that they're doing. And don't let like I'm only responsible for the benefit plan like that can't be the mentality anymore, because as soon as you get the data problem right, you're going to have insight into all sorts of things that are outside the traditional HR functions remit. But boy, oh boy, if you could influence them, you're going to make exponentially larger progress than if you only worry about the things that are like the traditional HR levers that you can pull when it comes to changing the way people work.
0: Yeah, and that's such a great point, Mike. And again, I, I'll bring up that same example I've, I've mentioned now a couple times on the show, this Amazon thing I read this morning. And I, and as you explained that, you know what I thought? I said, well, even if Amazon does this, even if they add that benefit, they're just kind of, it's just checkbox thing, really, right? To keep up with Microsoft and totally. Google and everybody else they think they're competing with. It's not really transformative. Look, I know it would help these folks at Amazon who want this benefit and, and they truly do want it and I hope they get it. But you're right, like that's, ultimately, that's not going to be that meaningful for them if indeed they they do that, right? There's going to be be more to it eventually, or there will need to be more to it eventually from an HR and talent perspective than just that. So yeah, super point, Mike.
1: So Steve, that's exactly right. And, And it brings us to sort of like the conclusion of this finding and the conclusion of the last 21 years, really, of this research, which is, look, the HR function in order to be that strategic player, and we've been chasing that strategic player, you know, uh, tagline forever. In order to be that strategic player, you actually have to start influencing things outside your function and you have to work and in, in influence your peers at the leadership level and not be a, uh, a, a support function or a corporate function anymore. Like you have to be a leadership function inside right. the organization. And you the the, the CHRO Will very rapidly find herself in a great position if she says, Look, I have the data that supports if we make the following changes to the way that we work, some of which I control in HR, some of which you purchasing control, some of which you line leader control, some of which you finance control, and she becomes the orchestrator of all of that. She's going to find that that's the definition of strategic. And it's not just like, Look at how I've contributed to a reduction in SGNA. Yeah. Um, so you know that that sort of redefinition of the strategic player as being like the position to the organization, helping them really embrace new ways of working and using you can use intelligent automation as a as a starting point there. But it's not an end point. Um, it's, it's, it's just redefining the role of the function as sort of the arbiter of what is a good place to work inside of your organization. Um, yeah. That's that that seems to be the path forward for a lot of our HR leaders.
0: Mike, I think you're right on that. This has been a really interesting, enlightening conversation. A lot of fun as well. I, I, you know, we're, I'm surprised. I shouldn't be surprised anymore. I've done a lot of these shows, like uh, how fun it is to talk about some of these subjects. Right. And um, the report uh, is fantastic. And I will put the link in the show notes, but I will read the link as well. Uh, Thank you for sending me over the short link, by the way you can find the future of HR report survey uh, from KPMG at read.kpmg.us slash future of HR survey. And again, that's read.kpmg.us slash future of HR survey. I will put that link in the show notes. I encourage everybody to take a look at it. And also I encourage everybody to listen to the show and, and, and and share it with your HR friends as well, because there's just, you know, beyond just what's in the report, just this conversation about, about how to approach some of these things and think about these things has been, I think, for me, fantastically uh, interesting and, and, and fun as well. So uh, Mike, uh, thank you so much for taking some time uh, with us today on the HR Happy Hour Show.
1: You bet, Steve. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, all right, awesome. So, wow. Okay, I'm going to think about this for a while. I'm going to write this up and, and, and really uh, uh, hopefully get this uh, shared with as many folks as possible. Great conversation. So again, thanks to Mike DiClaudio from KPMG for sharing his insights and information about the future of HR survey. Uh, great show. Uh, super. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we want to say um, hi to Trish McFarlane. We'll see her next time. And remind everyone to subscribe, share, tell a friend. Uh, HR Happy Hour Show, Going Strong. And please do um, uh, let us know what you think. Tweet at me, HR Happy Hour, and Steve at H3HR.com. Okay. For Trish McFarlane, for Mike DeClaudio, my name is Steve Bowes. Thank you so much for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour Show, your source for information and conversation on work, the workplace, technology, and more. Learn more and listen to all the show archives at www.hrhappyhour.net.